You are Locked On AFL, your daily AFL podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On AFL. I'm your host, Kane Pittman. Particularly with a pathetic effort from Pitt. I mean, it, it was the most disgraceful display I've ever seen from a big film. That's pretty hard on an individual, but he's going to have to live with that. And alongside me, as he is every day, is Josh Lloyd. Lloyd is Lloyd. Lloyd to Lloyd. 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 Kane, um, how, how many AFL footballers would we need alongside us to beat Adelaide? Uh, alongside me and you? Yeah, just we'll we go have, 15 versus 18. Let's try it. <laughs> and, uh, no, they're not, they're I, not know, that bad. I, I, think it, I think it was alongside me and you. We might need a few extras. But uh, oh, look, I, I think there was a lot of teams outside the eight. I spoke about this on yesterday's pod that would have been hoping for Adelaide and oh, halfway through the third absolutely. quarter would have been starting to get a little bit excited. I reckon you might have been one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I said this yesterday. I wanted Adelaide to get the win so that that pressure now doesn't fall onto the Bulldogs to make sure they keep winning because that's what's coming up next week. Or next, next round, whenever that, is, whenever that starts. Yeah, it was also important for those teams who were hoping to, to keep touch with the eight as well. Obviously, you know, Collingwood, you can criticize them all you want. And I thought they were, again, pretty awful last night. They didn't impress me at all, as they didn't against the Sydney Swans. But at the by the same token, they've picked up eight points. And that's going to be pretty critical to them. They've also got the draw. So right now, they're six points clear inside the eight. And we know they had a bunch of players out. But once again, for mine, I mean, their forward line is just an absolute disaster. And whether that's the delivery going into the forward 50 or the guys they've got down there, they just they don't look like kicking the score. They kicked two goals and a half against Adelaide, and I don't really care who they had out. They should be kicking more goals than two and a half, and one of them came from a 50, and another one came from an uncontested turnover in the back half by Adelaide that resulted in a direct shot on goal to Dacos. So, uh, again, Collingwood, then they are, uh, don't look like they've got any closer to solving their problems up forward. Yeah, and yeah, four of their goals came from Rusko and Stevenson, who had just 10 disposals between them. So they uh, they made the most of their opportunities. And if that didn't happen, then you would just wonder what what was going to occur here. But you know, two goals, it wasn't just two goals, Kane. It was two goals, one. So they had three scoring shots in, in a half of footy against a team that hasn't won a game in a year plus. Uh, and Adelaide still ended up with more scoring shots. And, and Collingwood, you know, pretty... Look, the, the scoreline, you got 62-38. It's okay. But when you, you only kick... You kick 10-2... So you're hyper-efficient. The other team kicks 5-8. It could very easily have been the other way around. Well, the third quarter in particular, Adelaide had the run of the play for a long period of time, 10 to 15 minutes straight, really, of, of playing time, not uh, not clock time. And they had a number of shots on goal. They missed them all. And then Collingwood went down the other end. And we know at the end of the third quarter, they kicked two goals in the final minute. And that kind of just broke the game open a little bit there. But you know, ultimately, I thought Adelaide battled hard again. I think McAdams is an interesting player to look at. I think Himmelberg is certainly someone you could get excited about if you're an Adelaide fan. He presents really well. He's done the same thing for the last couple of weeks here, but 10 disposals, five marks. Uh, he can take a contested mark, and even if he doesn't take that, that pack mark, he, he's, he's happy to run through and, and crash a pack, and I, I think that that's important for Adelaide. I thought he was maybe the most promising thing to come out of this game. Yeah, I think, look... It's obviously been horrible for Adelaide this season, but it's not without some positives. I think when you look at yeah, the play of Riley O'Brien, I think it's been an encouraging thing as well for, for big chunks of the season. Yeah, 
getting guys like Ben Keys into the middle and seeing what he can do, not relying upon um, the, the Crouches and uh, and Sloan and those sort of players, like getting some younger guys in. And you mentioned McAdam. I think Stengel's had some moments as well this season. Mackesy, I thought, showed some flashes at, at times. So it hasn't been a complete... Well, it's been a complete disaster, but it's not without some positives to to go alongside that. And we're talking about depth for teams at Adelaide because we can we can go on all day about the players that kind of would have missing, and clearly uh, none bigger than Scott Penderbury. We'll get to that in a second. But Adelaide are missing Sloan, Miller, Crouch, and this is a team that doesn't have that type of depth. So again, if if anyone any Collingwood fans are out there saying, "Well, listen, we had these this amount of players out." Uh, look, the Crows were missing some key players as well. I don't think that this is a win that you can walk away feeling good about. Are they? What are they going to do, though, up forward? I mean, we've, again, we'll come back to Pendlebury because I spoke about this last week. They just have a bunch of guys that are the exact same. It's for mine, when I watch Collingwood, it's just a bunch of midfielders that are all the same player. And even if you include Adam Trulor in there, he's a ball winner, but he's not a finisher. He doesn't have beautiful skills. He's not going to hit up these small forwards. What what uh, I I don't understand. I'm at a loss. What Collingwood are going to do to kick a score against the, the top teams in the finals? Yeah, that, that's the problem. And you're right. Penelope helps that a little bit, not because he's in there taking grabs and kicking goals necessarily, but because he's putting guys in the right position to kick those goals. But there are just so many of these guys. Like you know, Taylor Adams has a ton of the ball and goes at like 55 percent. Uh, just gets it and butchers it consistently. And yeah, Trelaw is a bit similar. Even side bottom went at under 64% in this one and yeah, getting a lot of the ball. And he's normally yeah, really, really strong by foot. Um, it, it is just a it is a confusing, I guess, group of guys that they, they do put in the middle there at times with so much similarity. But And I don't know, is it making Dacos a, a full-time midfielder? Because he's got a little bit of that... Um, precision, like he went at 93% in this one. I'm not sure he's ready for that sort of a role though, but maybe it has to be something along those lines. Just get someone in there who can move the ball without just you know kicking a, a knuckleball barrel out of a pack. Well, Dugowie will help, and we think he'll be back for final, so he'll be the guy that can just provide that X factor and can get you a goal out of nothing. It's It's similar to Toby Green with GWS. I know we'll touch on that, but he's a player that can win you a game even though you may not have had the silver service opportunities that, that most other teams are getting. The other player before we really move on that I think is interesting is Darcy Cameron. And I, I remember back in all the way back in round one, I spoke about him and I, I thought I went a little bit early with this take because I said, listen, I think Darcy Cameron, what we saw in round one, I think that this is going to ensure that Mason Cox is not going to play this year. I was kind of wrong because immediately Cox came back into the team and they clearly had faith in him and wanted to give him that opportunity. But there's no doubt that Darcy Cameron is ahead of Mason Cox in terms of what he can bring this team. He had 15 disposals last night. He Again, he was a real target. He is one guy that I can see that can continue to at least provide a target up forward. I think, yeah, he can pinch in in a ruck behind Brody Grundy. But Darcy Cameron could be the guy. Now, he's 25. So he's in that age bracket where it could be around the time where he's mature enough to start to really have an impact on the game. Is he capable of doing it right now and in this final series? I don't know because he hasn't got a lot of experience. But he's the one guy that I'm looking at for Collingwood and saying, well, Darcy Cameron could change things a little bit for this team. If they can get him up forward, gives them a, a, a tall target to kick to, which they don't have. He provides a contest. And then the little guys can get involved. And someone like Jaden Stevenson, who, who a lot of his goals come, 
uh, you know, at ground level, and he could run onto the run into the open goal as we saw last night. Maybe Darcy Cameron is the guy that can change things a little bit for the Pies. Well, Cameron took four grabs inside fifty in this one. He had, had nine marks yeah. in total, and and I agree, he's very similar in terms of well, not similar, but like the way that when I watch you know, Luke Jackson play, the way that he moves and he sort of gets into position, and you can just see it starting to develop. And even when he gets thrown into the middle, like he's got an impact. And amazingly, nobody I don't think would have thought this would be the case, but he ended up with more disposals than Brody Grundy in this game. Yeah, fifteen to ten, Grundy has been a little bit off his game over time. He was under an injury cloud, I believe, coming into this game. But Cameron, I think, has really stepped up, and I think they should be persisting with him, yeah, rather than say a Ben Reed who was was in the team last week and then yeah, back out no again. Doubt. Like that's what they need to be trying to do, and I think he's shown enough to not only do it just based on potential, but on you know, current output as well. No doubt, I hundred percent agree. A question I've got for you: When we look at the and you, everyone knows, everyone that listens to this show knows, I'm I'm convinced that we are locked in the top eight here. I think this is the way it's going to finish. I've seen a lot of talk out there that. And, and I will admit, mostly it comes from Victorian fans. So everyone outside of Victoria will laugh at this at this being a narrative. But a lot of teams out there, or a lot of fans out there I'm seeing on social media are saying, well, I, I don't think that this year finishing top four really matters because uh, you know, the games are going to be in Queensland anyway. So uh, there's no real home ground advantage, which of course there will be for the Brisbane Lions. But I actually am, am completely reversed in this. This is eight... Seriously good teams, I think. And, you know, we can talk about Collingwood and where they sit right now. And GWS has clearly been shaky. But if you finish fifth and you're taking on GWS or Collingwood in that first elimination final, you're in for a battle. I think this might be the closest top eight we've had. So I think regardless of where the games are being played and the fact that, no, there's no footy at the MCG and maybe you'll be playing on a neutral ground, I think maybe top four means more than anything just uh, purely based on the quality that are going to be in those elimination finals. I think that... The home ground advantage, fine, that's not there apart from Brisbane, but you, you're right. Like getting in that top four and getting the double chance when you know, with so much topsy turvy stuff going on this season, you have a bad game, you don't want to be you don't want to be fifth and, and lose, because if you're fourth and lose, then I'll see you back here next week. So that is that is a big that's a big battle. And I, th- I think that the double chance is significantly more important than the home ground advantage anyway. And you're getting those getting that opportunity to have maybe an off week. Maybe an injury because of you know soft tissues that occurred the week before. Who knows what it is? But having that extra buffer is super important. Uh, I I agree. I, I just think that if you put yourself in that position where and and I don't know what they're going to do in regards to a buy before the finals. I tend to believe they're not going to waste that time this year, and they might go straight into it. I don't know if that's been confirmed, but I, I saw I yesterday they were, they were going, they were looking at a week of rest. But that wasn't interesting either, so I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know how that would actually play out. I guess, it's, it's again, it's still hard to know what state the country is going to be in. But Port Adelaide this week, it's a big game for them. I think they really only need another one or two wins, and they're probably locked in top four anyway. But if they can beat Geelong on Friday night, I, I think you can almost lock them into top four. Brisbane play North Melbourne. That's a game they should get. You can almost lock them into top four if they win that. So then you're looking at the third and fourth spots are, are up for grabs. And there's a bunch of teams. Richmond, we really know, are rolling. St. Kilda, their schedule is going to ease it up a little bit here down the stretch. So they're going to be a threat. West Coast, we know uh, the form that they're in. So these these last two spots for the top four, uh, it's going to be an exciting race. Yeah, it, it is. And it is going to be key there. I think West Coast probably has the inside track there to grab one Me of too, them. Yeah. Um, and then it's going to be Richmond and Geelong. I, I probably think the Tigers might end up with it, but 
It could it, percentage isn't going to matter between Richmond and Geelong anyway because of the draw for Richmond. I think probably Richmond, even though they're currently sixth and Geelong is third, that can uh, that can flip over pretty quickly. But if Geelong uh, if Geelong wins their next one, which is against Port, I believe, then uh, all bets are off. Geelong is in the prime position. Yeah, I would probably, if I had to pick the four, that would be it as well. Port, Brisbane, West Coast, Richmond at this stage. The Eagles and the Tigers are just looking just ridiculously ominous right now. But the Giants aren't quite, and we've spoke all season long about their ability to score, their ability to get the ball inside 50. They've got a really interesting game uh, this week against Sydney because Sydney are a team that we saw last week against Collingwood uh, that really put uh, the the pies under pressure, and they are going to do that. They're going to get numbers back. They're going to play a defensive style of footy. So uh, I think that it's going to be really interesting to see uh, how the Giants score against this team. Did What did you make of their win over Eston? Did you see anything that led you to believe that this is a team that is starting to find their rhythm a little bit? Keeping in mind, again, they were missing the main man that we talk about all the time, Toby Green. Yeah, look, anytime that you can get a win there over someone, or not over someone like that, get a win without Toby Green, it's important for them. And to be able to you know, turn around that margin at halftime with a with a pretty decent second half, a six-goal second half, uh, was encouraging. They also were able to get more of the ball and get it inside 50, uh, which has always been that concern from them. So sort of changing that game plan up and not relying upon you know, the, the sidewards and the backwards stuff to try and get it in there. So it was it was encouraging in that respect. And I think you add you know, Toby in there and it, it changes the dynamic even more in their favor. So I, I wouldn't say it's a turning point necessarily, but it was a win they had to have. And it wasn't looking good early on. Like at halftime, it wasn't looking great. But... <laughs> Yeah, to come home as strong as they did and have that little bit of a change in game style, I think is at least got to be yeah, marginally encouraging. Yeah, 47 inside 50s in this one, averaging 36 on the season. So that's maybe the best sign of all, the fact that they got the ball in there because that just hasn't been the case this year. And I can't, they might have been talking to Tim Taranto after the game, and he certainly made mention of the inside 50 numbers. I'm not sure if it was Taranto or someone else, but he's been a guy that's come in over the last month um, from injury, he missed an extended period of time. 32 possessions on the weekend. Cornelio, 26. Whitfield, 26. Hopper, 23. So, And then Josh Kelly, 22. So the prime movers are starting to get the ball. And that's what you want to see if you're a Giants fan. Uh, and and again, you talk about the inside 50s. Those guys between them had uh, 15. 15 inside 50s between them. So, I mean, that's a positive sign for the Giants. And we've spoke about goal kicking all year long. The Pies last night clearly benefited from kicking accurately. And we saw the week before that they put themselves under the pump by not doing so. The Giants are kind of an interesting team. And if anyone watched on the couch last night, they kind of stole my thunder a little bit. They spoke about goal kicking towards the end of the show, but we, we spoke about the Saints a lot and the shots on goal they get. The Giants are a really interesting team to look at their shot, cut, shot chart. If you go to statsinsider.com.au, uh, peppering shots right around the perimeter, literally right across the 50, if you can imagine that heat map there. And then other than that, it's all around the goal square. So they're not getting shots from that 20 to 50 meter range. It's all inside or all outside. And those shots close to goal have certainly uh, impacted their accuracy on the season. They're up over 50%. Uh, Harry Himmelberg is up at 75% goal kicking. Jeremy Cameron, 66. Toby Green, 64. And Finlayson, 60. So they're another team that we've spoke about. They're very they're, they're very choosy they're with the inside fifties they want to go. Yeah, they, they they don't want it. They don't want indiscriminate inside fifties in general. Yes, they exactly. want them in the right spot. 
Um, and I, I look, I can, it hasn't worked at times. I, I understand the rationale behind it. You want easier shots of goal. But also, if you're going to a bad area and you get a turnover, you can get this ripped up going the other way. Like if you go to an area where then it's a two-on-one against you because you've just, hey, all I need to do is get it inside 50, then you turn it over on half back, one kick, one handball through the middle, and it's a shot the other way. And yeah, avoiding that is part of it as well as getting that um, yeah, more, more acceptable angle or more acceptable distance on your shots for goal. Well, I think it comes down to what kind of faith do you have in your forward pressure? Because we see some teams, and Port Adelaide's number one at Port are number one in the league for inside 50s. They just, they'll just get the ball in there and they'll say, listen, if we don't get a pack mark out of Charlie Dixon, then we're going to have territory and we're going to pressure the hell out of you and try and get a turnover and then get one of those you know, short sideways chips and, and get a shot on goal. So they really back in their forward 50 pressure. For GWS, they don't really have those players. And that's the one thing that you do that does stand out when you look at this team. They don't have those quick, small forwards that provide that pressure, that, that provide that those those tackles and those turnovers. If you look at their forward six from this is from last week, as they were named. So of course this isn't this isn't perfect. But Josh Kelly's in there, Finn Layson, Jeremy Cameron, and Callum Ward are four of the six. Those four guys aren't guys that you think of that are going to be harassing, chasing down, causing turnovers, smothers, tackles. That's just not the group. So this also isn't their makeup to to bomb the ball in and, and create that territory game. But that's well and truly against the grain of what we're seeing in 2020. Yeah, it's and it is a very different style, and sometimes it works really well, and, and we praise it, and then it doesn't work, and it looks really super ugly. Uh, but they, they did correct that last week against Essendon, but they they obviously need this win because they are right on the precipice, and for your uh, you know, top eight is settled prediction to come through, they need to keep winning. Gold Coast Essendon tonight. Speaking of games that are going to impact the top eight potentially, the Bombers sneakily. I mean, if they uh, they won't if they win tonight, they won't be in the eight because they've got an awful percentage at eighty eight percent. But they'll be level on points with the Giants if they can beat the Gold Coast Suns tonight, and Essendon have two games in hand. So they'll win. They'll play this game tonight to finish off the round. And then also we know they've got a game against Melbourne, which could be a critical one towards the end of the season. But for both of these teams and Gold Coast in particular, if Gold Coast lose, I think you can almost rule them out of finals contention if you haven't already. Yeah, I'd say you probably have at this point ruled them out. But this is this is a key one for us. And as you mentioned, they've only played the nine games. So they've played fewer games than anybody in the league, Gold Coast, yeah, floundering a little bit at four and six at the moment. The Essendon don't only need a win, but you talk about that percentage. It's one of the worst percentages, or it is the worst percentage in the top 13. Yeah, from uh, Carlton up, it, it's it's the worst percentage, marginally uh, marginally below the Bulldogs. So they need to get that at least approaching a 95-100 because you want, you know, if it does come down to it and you know, Melbourne has some big losses or GWS loses, you need to push that up because you don't want to be sitting on it. Nothing worse than sitting out of the finals on percentage only. Yeah, well, I mean, they've been a team that can get really put away. Yeah. And that's that's been something that they haven't been able to control all season long. I'm, I'm curious for Gold Coast more than Essendon here. And and even though Gold Coast are in a, a worse ladder position, and I, I think that their, their chances of making the finals are lower than Essendon, I've still been more impressed with the Suns this season than, than Essendon. And maybe that's expectations that are playing into that. The Suns are a team that can score. They're also a team that can be scored against. We've seen them have a bunch of close games that have been high scoring. So last week we saw them lose the game because they weren't able to stop St. Kilda getting goals out the back. Essendon are going to play an attacking style of footy. That's why they get blown out because because of the, the, the way they try and play. So one player I'm looking at for Gold Coast to be on red alert about is Adam Saad. Remember, there's two, there's two games in hand here. So he's two games behind, but he still ranks uh, top 10 for defenders in meters gained. He's averaging... 
uh, around 416 metres gained per game. Goes at around 73.5% kicking efficiency, 3.5 inside 50s, 4 rebound 50s, 20 disposals a game, and 12 of them are uncontested. I mean, this guy's one of the best running defenders in the league. He will. He's one of the rare players in 2020 that will take a bounce and will really take the game on uh, at all costs. So he's the type of guy that can get those easy scoring opportunities uh, on the rebound for the Bombers. So he's a guy, if I'm, if I'm Gold Coast, I'm on red alert for Adam Saad. I'm glad you brought up bounces because he has played two less games than everybody and he's ranked eighth in the AFL. There you in, go. Uh, yeah. I didn't look to- at that, but I, total I, bounces. I know from the eye test checks out. Yeah. yeah, total bounces, he's eighth. And that's that's a huge number considering, again, he's he could very easily be... Like he's only he's a 11th in, in bounces per game, but in total bounces, he could be right up there. Uh, if yeah, that same sort of rate continues over these uh, over these next couple of um, over these next couple of weeks, now interestingly, the leader in bounces per game is his teammate uh, Connor McKenna at two bounces mm. per game, but he's only played the four games, and that's why his uh, Adam Sard's total is uh, is lower than his average because a lot of the guys ahead of him like uh, Davis Yanaki. Uh, Tommy Cutler and Connor McKenna have all played. Even Nick Hind haven't played the full complement of games. Luke Shue is in there too, but uh, they haven't played that full complement. But Saad, yeah, he takes it on. He's exciting to watch. You, you love seeing him go full tilt nearly every time that he's got uh, got the ball. But Essendon's team selection, interesting this week. Townsend's injured. Hurley's been managed and, and Draper's been managed while Clark, Gleason and Bell Chambers come back. I try to look at their team. Well, I don't try to. I do look at their team and I just go, like, well, who's kicking the goals? Like, where, where are the goals going to come from here? Well, <laughs> it's difficult because this is what we were talking about last week prior to the game against GWS as well. I mean, they, they did get Sean McKernan back and he's at least a target for them, but he's so hot and cold. They lose Townsend, who I don't think has had a great season, but it's been difficult for him. I, I think the the expectations for him to play almost as a number one forward a number of times has really hurt. I, I don't think you can underestimate how much they are missing Jake Stringer right now. I mean, you talk about the other guys that they're missing, but Stringer is a guy that you can almost lock in for a couple of goals a week is just huge for them. And now, uh, down the other end, you lose a player like Hurley as well. I, I just, again, I, I always get sucked into the tall targets, but there's no tall target there. Is McKenna going to be the guy? Maybe. James Stewart? I, I don't know. It's it's a really underwhelming forward line. And when you have David Zaharakis lining up at center forward, again, this is going to be a game where Essendon are going to say, let's get the ball in there, and let's rely on Devin Smith and Zaharakis and McDonald, Tip and Woody and play the territory game and try and hold it in there. I, I think Essendon are a team that are going to try and score from stoppage inside 50 because uh, I don't see a mark and target. Yeah, and that's that's exactly what it is. And the other thing is is that Gold Coast, you know, Sam Collins has been playing so well down there that if the ball comes in high, you reckon he's going to have a fair chance of uh, of nullifying those uh, those entries, and that could have a, a real impact when there's not that not that big guy down there or not someone down there that's even you know considered competent or average at, at that position. And uh, I think that could be could be an issue for them. And you know we, uh, we haven't talked much about Collins this year. I think he's been really really good for Gold Coast. He's been yeah a, a real rock for them. And every time I watch him play, yeah, I just continue to be in, in, more impressed every time he's out there. Yeah, I, and I remember this game for obvious reasons as a as a Geelong fan. But I, I remember at the game earlier on in the season, the one where Matty Rao went down, uh, Collins outmarked Hawkins. I think three times. Uh, no, didn't just get the spoil. Took the intercept mark. He's one of the best intercept markers in the game, and he's just so strong. And I mean, we've seen the way Hawkins has played this year. To outmark him uh, in one-on-one contests, you're doing something right. Collins, uh, he's a bull. He's a bull. And if, if James Stewart, which looks like the likely matchup there, or McKernan when they're down there, got to be careful because he won't just go for the spoil. He uh, he he backs his hands in. 
Yeah, he does. And and it's been really, really fun to watch. His Gold Coast team, of course, has been fun to watch. Interesting that they did drop Alex Sexton this week. So I have the question here, where the goal's coming from for Essendon? Maybe a similar question for Gold Coast. Not quite the same because you've, you've got you know, Ben King down there, Sam Day, who's been really good, Rankin's down there as well, and a bunch of their midfielders can get involved too. But you know, losing Sexton, who absolutely absolutely hates having a shot at goal, um, yeah, that, that does take a little bit of that firepower away. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised actually that Sexton went out of the team. He's been such a fixture almost, you know, since they've come into the into the league. He's just the guy that's always been there through the the wins and losses. But uh, yeah, averaging under ten disposals a game this year, so he does provide sort of that mid level target. But uh, he's been down a little bit, and I do think that part of that has been the guys around him improving. No doubt about that. But it's strange. It's strange to see Sexton out of the team. As I said, he's been a guy that you've just expected to be in there. But uh, what about Flanders? They're, uh, they're, they're, they keep bringing in the young fellas. Obviously, uh, no row, but with Rankin and also Noah Anderson, they've got some top-line young talent in this team. And I know Flanders is a guy they've been wanting to get into the team for a little bit here. Yeah, they, uh, they have been talking about him for a while. And there's been a bit of agitation that, that maybe he's uh, not happy that he hasn't played just yet. The number 11 pick in the 2019 draft. He's 182-centimeter, mid-forward type. So just getting another young guy in there just to add to that group. You know, Rankin and Anderson, Lacocious. Uh, Miller, um, I'm sure I'm missing a bunch of other names there, but just so many guys who have impressed us uh, all throughout the season. Butterick, um, yeah, Ainsworth, Greenwood, a little bit older, obviously, um, just you know, really showing us what they can do. And just another name here for his first game to uh, to debut and, and see how it all uh, all pans out for Sam Flanders. But good to see him get in that game, the number 11 pick. So end of round 11 tonight. Round 12 starts tomorrow. So that threw me off a little bit when I was looking at that GWS-Sydney matchup. Uh, that they Obviously, they had the bye, but they actually played tomorrow. So uh, it just just keeps rolling on. We've got another couple of weeks or another week or so of this footy every day. Uh, I'm not really getting tired of it at this point. I, I'm, I'm all for it. There's always, there's always something going on. There's always stuff to talk about for us here, Kane. On uh, on Locked On AFL. So thank you again for another, another great episode. And we'll be uh, watching the footy again tonight. Look forward to catching up tomorrow. Guys, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and on Spotify, give us a five-star review and a rating over on Apple Podcasts, and I'll leave you today with a shout-out to Barry Round.